This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, yeah. Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Yes! Welcome everybody to another episode of Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys on Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I am your host, Elon Dubrovsky. Here to bring you another installment of our 31 Beats series. Uh, but before we tell you who it's going to be with, even though you obviously know, because you could just look at the title of the podcast that you're listening to, let me introduce to you my co-host and former friend after he beat me in NHL 94. So I'm a little mad at him, but here he is, Brian Calm. Hello, Elon. Hello, everybody. It's so nice to be here coming off my 6-4 to four victory over Elon in NHL 94. You know, some people are going online and playing NHL 20. What is that? I've never even heard of it. I only know NHL 94. Uh, anyway, we're going to be talking about the 2020 NHL season again. As Elon said, we're continuing this beat series. I'm very excited to do it. Yeah, well, we've got the great Ryan. Let's finally announce who it is. Uh, we've got Fluto Shinzawa. We're going to talk about the Boston Brewers. We actually already recorded that interview, and it was really great. You are going to enjoy it. Uh, before we cut to that, of course, a couple things. First, presented by DauberHockey.com is what we are and proud of it. So you got to definitely check that out. If you want to be, if you're listening to this, you're probably the type of person that wants to keep up with what's going on in the NHL and thinking about your fantasy teams and what the future holds for it. So lots of articles still coming out. Dauber's not stopping, so neither should you. Keep going to DauberHockey.com and checking out those articles that come out every day. Uh, and then, Brian, why don't you talk about the Patreon program, and then we'll throw to the interview. Uh, you're always telling me what to do, but I'd love to. Uh, <laughs> if you enjoy what we're doing and appreciate what we're doing, uh, you can always support us by heading over to our Patreon at KeepingCarlson.com patron or Patreon.com slash KeepingCarlson, whichever one fits your flavor. And support us by becoming a patron of our show. It's just a buck a month in the off-season. And what that does is it gets you into our exclusive patrons-only Facebook group where we exclude everyone who is not a patron. And we talk about hockey. And I post the screenshots of when I beat Elon in NHL 94. And there's just still like a pretty good stream of hockey and fantasy talk happening over there. You can also, uh, you'll also get a bonus episode every month called the patron cast where Elon and I essentially do, you know, those Reddit ask me anything. So we do one of those, but it's audio. You can ask us anything you want about fantasy about us. Uh, and it's a uh, very entertaining to hear what the other patrons we, and we, we unbutton a little, you know? So uh, if you want to hear a little bit of that, you can also support us by being a patron and a bunch of other stuff. But you can find all of that over at patreon.com slash keeping Carlson. Okay, but with that, Brian, by the way, we have, we have to schedule one of these patron casts. I think we're due for one. But okay, we'll talk about that offline. Let's go to our interview. You're really going to like it. So here it is. Hey, everybody. Super excited for this interview that we have for you at this moment. We are joined by Fluto Shinzawa from The Athletic. He covers the Boston Bruins. He's been covering the Bruins for a long, long time. Former writer for the Boston Globe. Welcome, Fluto Shinzawa. Thanks for having me. Yeah, really great to have you. And we're excited to talk about the Boston Bruins. Last week, we started this interview series talking about the Detroit Red Wings and then the LA Kings, two teams on very opposite ends of their status as a team in the NHL. Now we get to talk about a winning team, though I was actually surprised. I was looking over the Bruins records from the past few seasons. I completely forgotten. They missed the playoffs in both 2014-15 and 2015-16, both heartbreakers. They were the 
the top wildcard team to not make the playoffs. But since then, it seems like every year the Bruins are a team that's going to first beat the Toronto Maple Leafs in the first round of the playoffs and then be a contender to go all the way. So this year was looking like even better than usual. At the time of the NHL pause, the Bruins sat at the top of the league with 100 points, six ahead of the Blues. So do you get the sense that this Bruins organization is planning to continue contending year in, year out for the foreseeable future? Or are there any thoughts towards a rebuild on the horizon or anything like that? Well, I, I think it's a rebuild on the fly that they were able to put into place a few years ago, going back to the years that they missed the playoffs. They made some pretty significant moves in those years, whether that's trading Lucic, whether that's trading Hamilton, uh, all for a replenishment of the picks that they really uh, punted on for a long time, um, since probably 2009. And then they traded away Sagan and uh, and, and Dougie in, in that sense. But uh, I think they've done a really good job of incorporating the Pasternak, the McAvoy, the Grizzlick, and then acquiring players like Coyle. Who knows what Kashe and, and Richie will turn out to be. Um, but all this is built with the knowledge that Patrice Bergeron is going to be winding it up. Zdeno Chara. Who knows how long he's got left? David Krejci, Tuka Rask. So there's your four significant players who all have rings from 2011 and who knows how much they have left. So it's it's going to be, I think it's going to be a challenge when those players come to that conclusion. And will David Posnack be ready to be a, a go-to player consistently without Bergeron as his center um, is Charlie Coyle going to be a significant number two, maybe even a number one center when, when Patrice and David are gone? Uh, what happens with Tori when he, uh, who knows what, what happens with, with him? So I think they've got some pieces in play, but there's also, in terms of youth, uh, they, they have some players, but they don't know what Jack Stagnica is going to be. They don't know what Trent Frederick is going to be. Um, so it's, it's really a team built for now. I think this is, you can see the peak and, and they're at it. Uh, I don't know how much longer they can sustain it, but I think uh, obviously their hope is, is that the drop off will be slight and not right off the cliff. And I, I think that's, that'll be the case, but yeah, this is, this is their window right now. It's funny because we just chatted with an L.A. beat writer, Lisa Dillman, and every question was like, well, it's actually more about the future. And I think Boston is very much the flip. It's actually like, well, this team is now. So let's only let's really just focus on now. Yes, there is a plan for down the road. You also, in your answer, just set up pretty much the entire slate of questions that we wanted to ask you. So we hope you have answers to the thoughts you just shared or can work through them with us. And the first one I'll start with is David Pasternak who has emerged as one of the top scorers, top shooters in the league, uh, playing on, I think, the best top line in the NHL with Marchand and Bergeron. And this season was shaping up to be a huge one for Pasternak. He already had 48 goals and 95 points through 70 games, which put him in a tie for third in points with Artemi Panarin behind Drysaddle and McDavid. Tied with Ovechkin, a point ahead of Matthews in the Rocket Richard race, or a goal ahead of Matthews, excuse me. So, Pasta, Pasta really established himself this season. And in a lot of people's minds, he already had, but he seemed to take this extra step forward this year. So my question for you is, should we expect that what we saw from Pasternak this year is sustainable and we should expect to see him amongst the top of league scoring again next season? Or is he in a little over his head right now? No, this is who, this is who he is. I think there's even more room in his game to grow. You look at the numbers, it's not like the shooting percentage is way out of whack. Uh, it's, it's, it shows that he has talent, obviously, that he knows where to finish his opportunities. And he certainly gets his chances on the power play is where he is able to stack a lot of his numbers. But there, this is, it's, it's not like it's, it's totally bonkers stuff um, that he's doing and he's just relying on luck. And, and situational play. This is this is an elite finisher that has so many clubs in his bag. Whether it's the one timer on the power play from from the left circle, he's very good one on one off the rush. Very creative. Uh, pretty heavy release and shot on the snapshot. 
Um, the slap shot, of course, going back to the one-timer is very good. Uh, and he goes to the front of the net. He's not a perimeter player. So he can, he can, and he's gotten so much bigger. I remember him as an 18 year old. He would fall down. Anybody get within mm-hmm. 10 feet, he'd be on the deck. And he's not that type of, he's, he's a man now. So he's going to get his 130 of two minutes on the power play, on, on the first power play, every, every, every time they get a man advantage. So there's that. Um, he's going to get the first shift after a kill. Um, he's going to get, uh, well, again, going back to how long does Patrice have? Well, that line isn't going anywhere as long as Patrice is, is still in the game. So he's going to have that. Um, and, yes, I, I agree. That's, that's the best 200-foot line in the league. Um, and he's shown – I, I think there were, there were some times earlier this year where he was getting frustrated um, in terms of, of, of opposing physical play. And he would, he would bitch the refs, and he would, he would, it, wasn't, it wasn't trending well. But then I think he really took it upon himself to say, okay, this is the way I'm going to get played, and the way I'm going to answer is by scoring and by taking the rough stuff. And he's, he's done a really good job. I think that's been very, very uh, positive step in his development and that he's able to take that kind of punishment and say, all right, uh, I'll, I'll give it right back in terms of, of scoring. So, yes, you look at the age, uh, the the – uh, line mates, the situational play, how a lot of this offense, especially on the power play, is built toward um, optimizing his game. Absolutely. Uh, I think he was on pace, certainly on pace for, for busting through 50. He could have had 60 this year. So, yes, uh, I think this is who he is, and he's going to get better. That's so exciting. I'm sure uh, Cam Robinson, prospect expert, uh, he's in our Facebook group for the patrons and he's considering a trade uh, involving McDavid and Pasternak. So I'm sure he's very interested to hear that Pasternak maybe even still has room to grow from here. Uh, though you mentioned that, you know, it's not luck. And like, I, I definitely no one thinks it's luck at this point. <laughs> it's pretty hard to luck into a potentially 60 goal season. But how much credit would you give Pasternak's success to like his line? Like if Bergeron and or Marchand were hurt long-term or like thinking a couple years down the road when Bergeron maybe won't be around, like would we expect that's going to lead to Pasternak slowing down? Or do you think he may be good enough like a Connor McDavid, you know, to just carry his line no matter who's who he's on the ice with? Well, he certainly, certainly um, uh, benefits from, from those two. It's just the chemistry is and the knowledge and the experience and the reps, they just – they're, they're such a good east-west line when they get set up in the offensive zone. It's not like they're getting cookies off the rush every time. It's, 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 they set up down low, and they're going left, right, up, down, diagonal. It's, it's really, really fun to watch in terms of when they are, are rolling um, and when they're feeling good and when they're feeling creative. So, yes, it's, it's absolutely a, a big part of his game and big part of his results is based on Brad and Patrice. But the, the, there's always been an issue in Boston where, okay, that line's going to go quiet at, at some point. And the issue has always been, okay, there's, there's really not been a number, consistent number two right wing. So why don't you break up that top line and put him with Krejci on the second line? And there's been times where they have done that, and it's, it's worked. So I think great, excuse me, Pasternak is enough of a, of a self-starting player in terms of offensive, dynamic, um, creative player that it really doesn't matter in that sense, that he's still going to get his opportunities regardless of who his center is and who his linemate is. And at this point, I think the, the better chemistry that he has now is with Brad rather than Patrice. Um, those two are, are just are, are explosive and creative and shifty and clever and strong too. They don't, they don't give up the puck. So yeah, uh, I, I think it'll be, he'll, he'll feel it when Patrice is, is gone, but there's still some, some runway left in Brad's career in terms of being a, a 90, hundred point player. So there's, there's going to be that there. Um, so, uh, and, and going back to the whole self-starting player that he is, He's, he's not one of those players that's reliant on somebody uh, getting him the puck and looking for him in those opportunities. He, he's going to make his own offense, so I don't think there's any worries about what he's going to be. Well, he might need to if Charlie Coyle ends up as the number one center. Not to shade Charlie Coyle at all, but of course there's going to be this bigger load on Pasternak. It's great to hear 
uh, that you think he's up to the task. Uh, let's talk about Bergeron, though, and what he's got left in the tank, because he's, over the last three seasons or so, uh, sort of stepped into this trend of missing time. He actually went seven straight seasons, which is long long forgotten at this point with the recent injury history. Bergeron went seven straight seasons playing almost every game between 2010 and the end of the 2016-17 season. But for the last three seasons, Bergeron has been a risky kind of guy to to have on your fantasy team uh, because he just seems to be someone who you just can't depend on to stay healthy. This year, Bergeron was limited in training camp with a groin injury from last year's playoffs and then missed a chunk of time in late November and early December with a lower body injury. Since then, though, he has been going strong uh, until, of course, the pause when everybody stopped. So uh, do you think Bergeron is this sort of, uh, like, frail isn't the right word, but do you think that he has this consistent increased injury risk, or has this just been, like, a few offhand things that, you know, we can still expect to see Bergeron play close to 80 games in a season uh, for however many years he has left? No, I don't think he's that type of player in terms of being 80-82. No, it's just it's wear and tear. He's played a lot of games, a lot of minutes, a lot of hard situation scenarios for Patrice. And this groin thing is, is just unless and, – and he's had surgery before, and it's, it's, it's just something that he's going to have to manage for the rest of his career. Now maybe he can get it fixed up again um, medically, but – it happened last year. He had to have the, the PRP injection over the summer uh, and it flares up again. So it's just, it's, it's chronic. And what's it's, a PRP injection? Uh, platelet, uh, I forget exactly what a platelet, rich platelet, something, whatever. Basically you spin, spin the blood and who knows how effective it is, but you, you, you spin the, the plasma. So it becomes enriched and then your own blood and then you inject it into the, usually in the groin area where you have a problem. Wow. Is that like a common thing amongst NHL yes. players? Is this like a common procedure that we just never hear about? Yeah, they, he's had that. I'm sure a bunch of players go through it regularly. Again, who knows how effective it is, but the fact that they're doing it signals that they think and their medical teams think that there is some kind of effective, effectiveness to it. So, yes, that's something that he's had. Um, so, yeah, and given the age, there's not many players – now, Patrice, I think they've done a really good job, Bruce Cassidy and the staff, of of the transformation of Patrice. You look at what he was before. He was matchup guy, sulky guy, um, hard, hard shifts, a lot of PK usage. And now he's really shifted into an offensive first player where he's getting all this power play time. Um, you look at the five-on-five five ice time, it's, it's, it's gone down. The PK has gone down. They've really tried to take away a lot of his hard shifts. He's certainly going to get them when, when they're needed, uh, depended on the situation of the game. But that's who he's trended toward, and I think that's going to continue. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, and, and given the age, how many comparables of, of he's going to be 35 this July? So, Did you know that many, off the top of your head? Yeah. yeah. Wow. <laughs> how many players left? How many players have done that and performed to that degree in previous years? Not many. The list yeah. is very small. So, yeah, he's he's. Uh, I I don't think his days of playing full schedules are are over. Okay, well, that's useful to know. And obviously, people can on their fantasy teams. We have a fantasy podcast, so we bring that up sometimes. Yeah, people obviously have to be aware of that, that Bergeron could be super valuable, but you have to expect that he's going to miss time. And also, maybe it will be interesting whenever he does miss time for the Bruins. That gives us an opportunity to maybe see what the future holds, sure. like who will center that top line and things like that. And so, yeah, let's move away from the top line now. It's it's hard when you talk about the Bruins. You could just talk about those big three the whole time. I want to ask about some other players. One player that has always still been good for the Bruins and especially last season, even though he doesn't get top line or top power play time is David Krejci. And this season was looking like another stellar one for Krejci. He was pacing for 58 points, which, you know, isn't the 73 point aberration from last year, but still like a really strong season. One thing we've always wondered on the podcast is why doesn't Krejci ever get a shot on the top power play? Like it seems like he's been, you know, the fourth best 
or better forward on the team. Is it just that Bruce Cassidy thinks that the unit works better with like Jake DeBrusque as the fourth forward, like playing a different type of role? Or is it that Krejci is like needed on the second power play? Because he's actually like pretty effective on the power play, it seems. Like Krejci was pacing for around 18, 19 power play points this season, even though he was only seeing like around 36% of the Bruins power play time. Right, it's a good question. I think I, I remember checking earlier this year and his power play per game this year, ice time was uh, was was the lowest of his career, and that's just based on the personnel that they have. He's he's David Krejci is most comfortable in the position that David Poshnak usually is that left mm-hmm. elbow. So that's that's where Krejci feels like he's he's a very cerebral guy. He 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 gets to see the whole ice from that position, and it's he's just not going to get that when Poshnak is ripping away and getting all the points with the with the one timer now. One of the good things about their power play is that it's very flexible. They're not they're not baked into their these these set positions, so there's some flexibility there. But it's just he's just not going to get that role. Um, and then you look at the other players. Krug is your your point man. Uh, Bergeron's the bumper. Marchand is down low. And then David Krejci is not a net front guy. It's just it's just not who he is. So that's Jake DeBrusque usually. They they've tried Charlie Coyle there. Um, so it's, it's, it's strictly based on personnel is that they have better options. Not that David Krejci is, is a power play liability. Um, but, and that, that, that first unit is so good that if they don't score, they're out there for 120, 130, And then that leaves David Krejci on for 10, 20 seconds. So he's just not going to get those points. So, um, maybe there's going to be an injury, um, and he would get an opportunity on the first unit. But yeah, second unit is his future. Okay, so then let's talk about Jake DeBrusque, who has gotten that uh, big fancy role on the top power play, but hasn't really done a whole lot with it. Uh, last year, he saw 56% of the power play time, but only picked up 11 power play points, which I know all five guys on a unit can't generally be on a 20 point power play clip, but still left us a little wanting, especially because we were hoping that DeBrusque was due for a breakout this season, his third year in the league. Uh, But through 65 games, he only had 35 points, which was good for a 44-point pace, which is down from the 50-ish point paces he put up in his first two seasons, where we thought he was on like this growth path. And then this year, things got kind of stunted. So I guess my question is in two parts. First off, what was up with his performance this year? Can we still expect him to evolve into something more than, say, a 55-point player, somebody who can provide some true secondary scoring for as long as that top trio is still, you know, bearing most of the brunt of the scoring load? And the second part is, is has he lost an opportunity to stick on that top power play? Is someone else going to get an audition next? Uh, specifically on the power play. Yeah. His numbers, I don't think are ever going to be really good just because he, at this point of career, he's not, he's not good at tipping butts. It's just, maybe he'll develop that, 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 um, that ability, but it hasn't, he hasn't gotten to that point yet. And part of it is, is his duty is, is they, is Bruce says, your role is to retrieve pucks. So not glamorous um, and, and not perhaps setting yourself up for points, but that's what they need from him is if the puck is in the corner or the puck is in front, he's, that's his job. He's got to get it and then give it to whoever. So I don't know, maybe, maybe the numbers will improve that way, but um, he's, he's not, say, like if you look at Pasternak, it's set up, the, the power play is set up for his one-timer. It's just they don't have that, that look for Jake at this point. Maybe they will if he develops that, that net front tipping and screening and, and, and stick skills that he hasn't to this point. So uh, I would expect his power play numbers to not be great. But in terms of five on five, absolutely inconsistent this year, very inconsistent, um, just, just not there for a long stretches. So disappointing. Yeah, but, what happened? Because that wasn't the expect. I, I I imagine that also wasn't the organization's expectation. No, for him. no, no. Given the age, the skill set, the speed, the foot speed, he's absolutely uh, should be should be forty goals. That's what they expect, and it just wasn't there for him for whatever reason. It's just uh, who knows. That's just that's just development curve of, of a young player, a third year player. Um, 
and so maybe maybe he'll uh, I, I would expect him just given the age what he's been through um the 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 segment of his career that he's going to hit um and and the security of of what will be his second deal uh, i would expect a little bit more predictability in his game in terms of consistency um and when that happens now he it, some of that is going to be limited just because Brad is going to take most of the shifts like if if they need a goal, they're going to give it to Brad as as your left wing. But Jake should absolutely be a credible second line wing and should be among the better ones in the league just because of what he's done. And he's and the, I think the the most important quality of his game is fearlessness. So what does that get you? He's going to be he's going to always put himself in the mix in front of the net in the corners. So he's going to he should be able to pick up some garbage points that way too. Just, just naturally. So, yeah, uh, th- this is not. This was not a good year for Jake. But uh, absolutely, uh, if you look at comparables, he should be in the Taylor Hall conversation in terms of. Oh wow! Wow. Okay. So yeah, maybe an under the radar guy for next season. DeBrusque like locked in, still in the top six, I guess, with Krejci as a centerman. And then we look to who else is going to take that spot. Like one person who we really expected to challenge for maybe even top power play or like you know strong deployment was Andre Kasha, who arrived to the Bruins, you know, close to the trade deadline. And and he we thought he was going to have a great season. Like he's always been someone who, when he was on Anaheim, struggled to stay healthy. But when he was playing games, he was like taking a lot of shots. He was getting points. Like he was looking like a really strong player. Uh, but then last season was a step back. He played 55 games, which is pretty good. He missed some time, unfortunately, but only 24 points in those 55 games. That's with Anaheim and Boston combined. Uh, if you just look at the Bruins tenure for Kasha, he had those flu-like symptoms, which now during today's time, that kind of made me raise my eyebrow that he had flu-like symptoms around January, February. But let's not uh, speculate about that. Uh, but yeah, only one assist in the six games he did play. And I was pretty surprised. He was like barely taking any shots, which is what made us like Andre Kasha in the first place. So I'm curious to get your thoughts. Like, What's the sense in the Bruins organization of how Kasha looked in this first stint with Boston is he and is he expected to figure into the Bruins plans continue in the top six next season like maybe on this line with Krejci and DeBrusque uh based on what we've seen which is not much uh it just shows how difficult that that transition can be for a lot of players especially he was coming off concussion so that you have that uh it's, it's just it's so hard for for some players to come off of head injuries and, and perform then the trade it's always going to be difficult for some players moving from one coast to the other, new system, new teammates, new coach, uh, language issues for, for some players in terms of, uh, of being a Czech guy and, and perhaps not being familiar with some of the North American players um, and deployment, all, all these factors. And I, I think they kind of expected that to happen and that it would take some time. And then perhaps by the playoffs that he would round into a good second line right wing for David Krejci in terms of the speed, the, the puck possession, this is a high volume shooter. Um, and, and they thought based on his, his numbers in Anaheim that there was some luck involved in terms of why the puck wasn't going in from this year. So I think they still hold out hope that he's going to be a, number two, number three, right wing, but it's just going to take time. And now this, uh, so there's, it's, you, you bake in more time for what it's going to take for him. So uh, it's, it's just a whole unknown based on what we've seen from him um, since he was acquired from Anaheim. It's just, it just, he just needed more time and more reps um, to get comfortable with, with what they're trying to do. In theory, he should be a good fit just be, because of his skill set. But to this point, we haven't seen it. So will we see it in the future? Who knows? It's just it, it, the, the, the history here in Boston specifically um, did not indicate that he's, he's found his niche, his comfort, his, his, his best um, role. So, yeah, that's, that's going to be a work in progress. The history of Kasha in Boston, the brief history, isn't good, but also neither is the history of like any fifth forward. I mean, we were just talking about Jake DeBrusque, and you'd think playing with David Krejci for either of those guys would be enough to turn them into a real contributor because David Krejci is a fantastic, and I've been banging the drum 
uh, all season, all this season for some reason, uh, but also for the entirety of Krejci's career, that he's underappreciated and undervalued for the job he can do as a top, he's a top six center or maybe even a top line center at some point in his career. Anyway, uh, but he has not been able to really pull someone along with him. Like we've seen DeBrusque, we've seen Kasha, we've seen Ryan Donato, Anders Bjork, uh, Danton Heinen, who I know isn't probably the same class, or Ryan Spooner. Uh, the list goes on of these players who never really seem to succeed in the Boston top six, even though they have David Krejci. And I know that Krejci's line and the third line in Boston have clear roles and are solid at doing them. But in terms of offense, why hasn't been Bo- why hasn't Boston been able to bring out some legit secondary scoring from their lineup? Is it just because they don't have to? Well, first, uh, they it, it just hasn't been. They haven't had a a true number two right wing for for years. You could go back to probably two thousand fourteen. Nathan, uh, I mean Jerome McGinley. Uh, since then, you go through the list. They've they've really really struggled to find that. That's that's been that uh, before before they brought in Charlie Coyle. Number three center was one of their their real sticking points in terms of they they just couldn't find that type of player. And and since then, uh, he's filled that. Charlie has, but the the non, number two right wing thing has been such an issue for them. They tried it with Rick Nash and a couple of years ago at the deadline. And in theory, that should have been fine. I think it would have worked out, but then he got a concussion. So that went sideways. They actually, they acquired Marcus Johansson um, at the trade deadline last year and thinking that he'd be a good number two right wing for David Krejci. And then he turns out to be a better fit on the number three, uh, the three line with, with Charlie Coyle on the left side. And you go through the list, Heinen, Bjork, so some of that is based on what they have and what they haven't had at that position. But yeah, David Krejci is not a, it takes some time to get comfortable with him. It's just, he's, he's an East West guy. He likes to hang on to the puck, slow it down. He's some of the passes he can make are, are amazing, but there is a sense of, you have to be a cerebral, similarly cerebral player to mesh with David, I think. And you need reps, and they they haven't had either of those qualities here for a long time. So I think they were really hoping to the to get that with with Kasha, and it, it hasn't happened to this point. Um, so yeah, that's been number two right wing has been an issue for so long. Um, and and is it? I'm not to say David's fault, but yeah, there, there's 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 a factor in play that he's tricky to play with. Mm. Um, so, but yeah, that's been number two right wing so long a deficiency, and right now it, it's it's still looking a little unsettled. Yeah, Brian's been a big Andre Kasha booster for a while now. So maybe I'm sure Brian will be over the summer talking about how he's expecting big things from Kasha next year. <laughs> I just <laughs> but, would have thought it would have been a slam dunk. Like he's yeah. someone who's been searching for a center for a while and shown some flashes and Krejci's known as this great setup guy. Anyway, I, I won't, I, I've gone on about it enough. He's tough to play with. That's what Fluto says. You got it. Okay. Uh, so let's move on to the defense. Probably the biggest question for the Bruins this offseason is whether or not they're going to bring Tory Krug back, or obviously if Tory Krug will be interested in coming back, or if he's going to walk as an unrestricted free agent. Like you've got to imagine Krug is going to command big money. He's paced for 64 points or higher for the past three seasons. Now has proven to be a top uh, power play one quarterback in the league. There's actually a couple other defensemen in his you know sphere, like Petrangelo, Tyson Barry. Like there's going to be a lot of exciting defense going into unrestricted free agency this summer and Krug specifically according to Evolving Wild they're projecting him to get like around like a five-year 7.6 million dollar contract I don't know how they come up with these numbers I'd assume the the agents and the GMs will have a say in that but do you have a sense at this point of whether we should be expecting Boston to offer Krug like a long-term big money contract like that to try to get him to stay or do you think Krug's probably going to walk? Well, even before the pandemic, uh, I I don't think I think the Bruins were going to be very very disciplined with what they were going to offer Tory. I don't know if an offer actually took place, so there there's a whole lot of unknowns there. But just given the age, the options that they have in terms of five on five left shot D's, and the options that they have on the power play, now none of those are going to be as good as Tory. He's elite. He's he's a top two, top three power play guy. And he's he's grown his game into being a a dependable five on five defenseman on on their second pairing. But he's twenty nine years old, 
and a skater who relies on power rather than efficiency. So if he's looking for term, it's good for him and and you hope he gets it, but it's going to get a little iffy toward the end of it. So who knows if, if the, the league is saying flat cap for next year and maybe for the next two years, that's fine. But what if you're an owner that is facing financial issues that, okay, if the cap is 81 million and you can't spend to the cap. So Tory's going to have all these, these, it's just horrible timing for Tory to be unrestricted at this point. Um, whereas before, yes, he, I think he could have gotten seven million annually and probably term, maybe even seven, seven times seven, for example, from somebody else. But so at this point, it's, there's it's just so many factors involved. Does he want security? Does he want to maximize his his income? Um, is is he is he so unnerved by this? that he says, okay, I don't want to leave the only organization that I've known. Um, do I want to have, is that worth it to say, okay, I'll take a way lower market value from Boston than what he could get elsewhere. And and does that elsewhere even exist? Certainly not to the degree that it was before. So I don't know. It's, it's, it's so hard to say what is going to happen, but I could say before, I wasn't sold on Tory coming back um, under normal circumstances. So now that it's it's enhanced, um, yeah, that's it's it's iffy just because the Bruins are have have other options. They have some money issues in terms of where they want to spend their their dollars on on younger players. Um, so yeah, performance is. I don't see a drop off for him in the next couple of years, but. Might not be in Boston. That's really interesting. So let's keep going down that hypothetical route that Toy Krug doesn't come back, knowing that it is purely hypothetical because when he's been injured, we always thought like Charlie McAvoy would be the one to step up on the top power play, but instead it was Matt Grizzlick who got that top power play quarterback spot when Krug missed time. And McAvoy has been like sort of a steady rock. And it feels like, especially with Chara and Krug potentially sunsetting in their time in Boston, McAvoy is going to have a huge role to play. But is it not going to be also that of being like the number one offensive guy? Is Matt Grizzlick legitimately going to be the guy manning the point on the top power play? Or does McAvoy still have a shot at it, even though we didn't really see him get a turn in that deployment when the opportunity was there with Krug on the shelf? I think it'll be a situational issue there, whether it's Grizzlick or McAvoy. Say, because McAvoy, his number one job is is five-on-five shutdown. So let's say the Bruins go on a power play after, right after a shift where he's been on against McDavid, well, he's probably not going to get – they're probably going to go with Grizzly because he's he's typically been their third-pairing left-side guy um, and, and doesn't get that many shutdown opportunities. Now, maybe when Chara's gone, that might that might be their top five-on-five pair, Grizzly and McAvoy. They've played together for a long time um, when needed, um, and they're familiar. They played together in school, so there's there's chemistry there. So there might be that, but yes, I, I think it'll be. I think the coaching staff will, will look at it situationally. Um, and w- with that being said, neither is going to be as effective as Tory. It's just they're they're not either. Neither of them is that type of player. Um, Grizzlick, he can distribute. Uh, he's he's smart. He's he's heady. He knows how to to walk the line, but he he doesn't have Tory's shot. He can't put it on net as as reliably as Tory. He's just he's just not that kind of dynamic power play presence, but he's going to get his opportunities. So uh, as a distributor, I think he should be okay. Uh, Charlie, uh, I think the world of Charlie. I think he's going to be in the Norris conversation for a long time. But again, he's not that dynamic power play guy that Tori is. Um, he's he doesn't shoot enough when he's up there. Uh, he's just he just doesn't command it. What what, what the Bruins really like about Tori is that he knows okay. He's got star players on the unit, but it belongs to him. He owns it. Um, they love the fact that he just, he, he just, it's, it's, it's his baby. And Charlie is not that type of person, not that type of player. Um, but yeah, they'll, they'll both get their opportunities. Um, but 
you just you just can't say that either of them will be as good as Tori in that situation. Right. So yeah, if Krug leaves, it's gonna be really hard to project like how many points to expect from someone like McAvoy next season because you gotta imagine, even if he's not, you know, at the level of Tori Krug as a power play quarterback, it's like anyone, like Matt Grizzlick, or I'm sure you could throw or who Vekka Nainen or who whoever's around, like whoever is quarterback in the top power play is gonna just get a ton of points just from being there and passing it to one of these superstars. And so, but we don't know who it's going to be. So we'll just have to sort of hedge our bets either way, I guess. Uh, So you might as well finish with the goalies now. And just like last season, the Bruins limited Tuka Rask's workload this year with Halak as the one B and the Bruins saw a lot of success with this strategy. Rask actually had a huge, I don't know, resurgence, just like an amazing season this year. He played 41 games. His record's 28, eight and six and nine twenty nine save percentage. This is like the 2010 to 2015 Tuka Rask. Rask, this yep. unbeatable version of him and Halak obviously not too shabby himself he went 18-6-3 with a 9-19 save percentage another big decision for the Bruins this summer is whether they're going to re-sign Halak or go for someone else to share the crease with Tuka Rask because I mean, I would imagine that the Bruins don't want Rask to be a high volume starter anymore. Like it seems like this workload of 45 to 50 games is really working for them. So I guess another question that you have no way to answer, but you have any sense from what you've heard of whether the plan is to try to get Halak back or to go sign another like established goalie that could play that 1B role? Well, absolutely. They need somebody that can take 35, 40 starts. It's, it's, Tuka was absolutely tracking toward top two Vezina uh, conversation with Hellebuck. So uh, yeah, this is, this is who he is. It will continue to be that way. So they absolutely need uh, a really good number two or, or one, one B um, in terms of Yarrow, he's 35, 36. Uh, so um, this is probably going to be his last shot. It's been a great situation in Boston, but again, pre pandemic, I think he was looking to maximize in terms of term two, three year deal. Maybe he he could have gotten that just because I think he's helped establish around the league. And we see it in Dallas. We've seen it in Chicago that it's, this is the model that it's not, it's not the brodeur. It's not the Holtby. It's not, it's not 70 start guys anymore. It's just, maybe you have a, a Vasilevsky in, in, in some cases, but it's going to be, not a 50-50 split, but 60-40. So, yeah, there's going to be – Yarrow is going to have a market. So it's it's. I, I think that's probably even more important in some senses for the Bruins to bring back Yarrow than bringing back Tory, just because it's been such a trusted yeah. partnership um, and that they don't have a good internal option. They have the, the kid Dan Vladard who, who played very well in Providence, but he's 23 never played an NHL game. So do you go from that and a half season, three quarters season of AHL performance um, and say, okay, here's 40 games in NHL. That's a really, really tough ask. So I, I would think that if, if they have some options in terms of, U, of UFA guys, of course their first, first priority would be to bring Halak back. But if, if, if the market is just set for, for Yarrow that he has better options and can get better dough elsewhere, then the Bruins won't move off their price point and they'll look for, for other veteran options. I, I just think it's, it's, it's just too big of an ask to ask an American League guy to go from zero to 40 starts. So if it's not Yarrow, then you look at that market. Well, uh, I'm not exactly sure who the UFA guys are. That would be uh, uh, maybe. There's Hudobin is a big name, but he's okay. going to probably command Return similar. To Boston. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Maybe come back for a third time. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, maybe one of the Chicago uh, Crawford. I think he's he's understood. Or I think well, Robin Leonard is, but he's another like you know he's going to command big money. Right. So. Right. So yeah, yeah. I would I would expect that to be beyond the Bruins. Um, capabilities. So, yeah, there, I, I would guess there'd be UFA to be brought in with Yarrow being the first option. Okay, so you've got uh, Halak and Rask likely to stick as the tandem for another year. There was a sort of sensationalist headline uh, at your former place of work that was suggesting that Tuka Rask might be ready to just be done after one more season. Like his contract expires. This in 2020, 21. Yep. Uh, and like, he was just like, yeah, you know, it might just be time for me to spend time with my family. 
And like the article wasn't sensationalist, but the headline was, it was very alarming. It's like, what, what is, how, is, how does Tukaras come to like suddenly saying he's going to retire out of the blue? So um, I guess I just wanted your read on how legit that was. And I was also going to throw out one other name at you. You mentioned Dan Vladar is one of the Bruins goaltending prospects. This guy's no closer. He's younger. He's still in university. But have you heard the, ne- the name Jeremy Swayman being batted around yet by, uh, by people in the organization with any kind of expectation attached to it? Well, Swayman, I think, tracks to be a future number one, just given the way that he's played. He he had he played for University of Maine for three seasons, and uh, that that wasn't it, it had trended better by by his junior year when he when he signed. But that was that was a building program, and he had he was number one for all three seasons, and he had to face a high volume of shots, high quality shots, and his numbers were really really good and to the eye. I've seen him a few times in person uh, playing in games, and he looks he looks good. But again, he's that's that's probably a two year project in terms of of getting him ready for developing into a possible number one. Um, so that's 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 down the road. Um, but yes, he has he certainly has he uh, he was top I think one of the three Hobie Baker finalists for top uh, college player. Um, yeah, he's 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 gonna be he's gonna be pretty good. Um, as far as Tuca goes, this is the best season that I've seen him play since his Vesna year in 2013-14. So, given that um, his age, he's an 86, so he'll be 34 by the end of his deal. 30, yeah, something like 34, 35. Um, I'd be surprised if he retires after next year, just given that he's still, uh, at, well, at this year, he's a, he's a top three goalie. Um, and if, if they can limit his, his action, I still, I still see some runway in terms of him being a high, high end goalie. So yeah, given the family situation, he's got three young ones. Um, he can always go back to Finland. Maybe, but, we we don't see we don't see players um, of of where he is in his career just say forget it I'm done yeah. uh, I think he'll and he's gonna have options starting with Boston he's gonna get even with his age and with goalies it's tricky but I would expect at least a three year offer uh, and a, a good dough not not seven mil that he's making now but at least uh, uh, just spitballing fives. So that's a lot of money to walk away from. So I I would expect him to, to stick around. So by the way, I'll just throw out for the people who are curious and for you, Fluto. So here's a list of the unrestricted free agent goalies. Uh, Sorted by uh, their 2019-20 cap hit. Uh, I'm seeing like, so Holtby is a big name. Crawford, uh, neither of those probably go to Boston. Maybe Jimmy Howard, like, or Craig Anderson, one of these guys who used to be a starter. That's like kind of like in the Halak mold, like now going to a different part of their career. We've got Jacob Markstrom out there, Thomas Grice. Uh, So there's names. We'll see. <laughs> we'll we'll see what happens. Um, so one question. We, uh, thank you so much for your time. Like this has been this is amazing. We uh, you know don't want to keep you much longer. But one question we've asked to the two people we interviewed before you. Like if what like as a final thought, looking towards next season, uh, let's pick like one Boston Bruin player who you think is going to be the biggest like positive surprise to people next season. Like in terms of fantasy, someone that maybe won't get drafted or will get drafted late, and people will be like, oh wow, I can't believe what a steal I got. And then on the other side, who's a player who you expect to maybe be a disappointment someone that we're like excited about that won't end up being as good as we hope next season i would think anders bjork would be in the first category he's he's this this was and again another interrupted season for anders his first year he got a a shoulder injury that 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 cut that short second year same shoulder needs surgery again and then this year this happens so he still hasn't played a full pro season and this is this is a kid that has a lot of skill high-end speed agility good shot not afraid to go to the net uh, a little bit lacking in the hockey sense but other than that he can play both wings left shot guy but has played uh right side uh i expect big things from anders um next year um on the downside i, I have to go with patrice just given the the injury history the mileage it's the 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 odds are against him of of playing full season and getting 
through the year, especially after this. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll say Patrice, the numbers will go down. Okay. That's like, it's a sad moment. I mean, of course it's inevitable. This is just how life works, but it's like sad to, yeah, to think that he's just not a machine who can keep going forever. Right. I'm going to ask you one, one final question before you go, uh, not about hockey, but about, I think what is one of your other passions? You've done a great job chronicling the food available in each NHL city as you go and follow the team around. So I'm wondering when this pandemic is over, what road meal or maybe even home meal? I don't know what this Boston restaurant situation is like, but what road meal are you most eagerly anticipating? Like if the, maybe the question could be framed as uh, if the NHL playoffs were all to be played in one city, which city would you hope that would be for food purposes? Ottawa. What? Wow. <laughs> That's where I am. Shawarma Palace, my favorite restaurant <laughs> in the league. To yes. have the, the the value of what they have, I always get the uh, chicken shawarma plate. To have a full plate of chicken, rice, potato, salad, hummus, bread. It's it's, and then you walk out of there. It's I think it's sixteen or seventeen Canadians, so which is yeah, like pennies, two pennies American, real money. So <laughs> oh yeah, give me that. That's so funny, all day every day. I've been trying to convince Fluto. You're not helping. I'm trying to convince Brian to move to Toronto at some point. Well, I I got no complaints about Toronto either. (laughs) The Chinatown is good in Toronto. They've got a a Spanish place uh, that I like. So yeah, it's, I, I, I miss both cities. Okay, well, in that case, I think maybe I wonder if you're going to get more tweets after this interview uh, to ask you about your Bruins thoughts or now for food recommendations. But thank you so much for coming on the show. If people want to ask Fluto about the Bruins or about where they should go eat wherever they live, uh, follow him at Fluto Shinzawa on Twitter. Uh, Is there anything else you want to plug before we let you go? That'll do it. Theathletic.com too, please. Uh, Thanks for reading. Right, of course. So yeah, thanks so much for coming on. This was fantastic. The time flew by and uh, yeah, have a great rest of your Sunday and good luck to the Bruins if the season picks up again at some point. You got it. My pleasure. Bye. Thanks, Fluto. Okay, guys. Thank that you. Awesome. Good now I want Shawarma Palace. They still right. open. I can go like pick oh, it up right. on the curbside. So maybe good. I will. Good. <laughs> And there you have it, a look at what is to come for the Boston Bruins. Thanks once again to Fluto Shinzawa for joining us and for telling us all the truth about good food, which is A, that it can be found in Ottawa, and B, value is a factor, which Elon has teased me about before. I once went on a podcast uh, about Ottawa, and they kept asking me like where I like to eat, and all my answers involved the value. And Elon, you teased me about that. Well, I mean, it's just like if I'm going to go out and splurge, I, I have a nice meal. I don't, I don't want to hear just what does Brian think are the cheapest meals in Ottawa. I thought you were going to talk about the best meals. We all know where the most expensive places to eat are and how they're like likely or we know which ones are legit okay. and which ones aren't. You know what? I stand corrected. Clearly, <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with you and Fluto here. And it looks like hopefully they have a good falafel. I'll have to go check out this uh, shawarma. What was it called? Shawarma King? Shawarma Palace? Well, there is a shawarma king. There's also a shawarma queen. There's a shawarma prince. There's a shawarma royals. There's a Mr. Shawarma. But their right. shawarma palace is the one and only uh, <laughs> leader of shawarma in Ottawa. I bit off more than I could chew with that question. Okay, so (laughs) thanks again to everyone for listening. We hope you liked it. Next up, we're going to have the Arizona Coyotes. But before we get to that, let's cue the outro music for this show. And Brian, why don't you go ahead and read the credits? All right. This episode of the Keevan Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dauber Hockey and powered by our patrons, including our most recent one, Jordan. Welcome aboard. Logo art by Brandon Weeb, outro music by Pat Roach, and this episode was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Pools, Hockey Database, and Hockey Reference, and of course, Fluto's excellent work at The Athletic. Yeah, and at Fluto Shinzawa on Twitter. Thanks again. And Brian, this was a lot of fun. I'll talk to you in a few hours, but you will be, the listeners will be hearing from us again on Thursday when we drop our Arizona Coyotes interview. So stay safe and all the best, everybody. Also, we use natural saturation in evolving hockey. But yes, please stay safe, all the best, and until next time, keep on keeping Carl signed.